you get out of those? They'll dry faster. I may not be here that long. Ugh. These are hopeless. Like my grandpa used to say, cut it, move on. You're not out here to untie knots. You're here to fish. <laughs> we did some fishing this morning, didn't we? Yes, we did. Did he say anything to you yet? Yeah, he said, bring one of the trout you caught. No, uh, after we ate. About me. Oh, no. But it looks like he's fixing to. He didn't talk to you yet? Not yet. Went for a walk. A normal human being walk or one of his half day jobs? Uh, Picking his words. That's why he's walking. Hang those up, they'll dry a lot quicker. <laughs> Thank you, mother hen number two. You nearly flipped the boat when you dove in. Hey, what'd you expect me to do? It was him. How did you know it was him? John. He knew first. He did the same thing the first day we met him. Started yelling from the shore. He can't wake the dead, can he? Yeah. Funny. It was Bass then. He yelled, try the plastic worms, just out from the rocks. You should have seen John that day. <laughs> they were breaking my line left and right. Yeah, he was Larry, Moe, and Curly all wrapped up into one. We got 17 that day. Huge. We could have had twice that many, too, but we couldn't tie the hooks on the line fast enough. Same thing as this morning. Maybe that's a sign. Of? Something. Well, here's your 10, although I should claim a default. Why? Divine intervention. Always looking for a loophole, aren't you? I don't want your money, Tommy. Ah, biggest fish. Should I just leave? Pete. Why does he just talk to me? Why is he dragging this out? Get it over with. He knows you regret what you did. He's not going to give you the boot. I think he's right. He's probably out. And we're right behind him. Mr. Optimist. We all bailed on him. Not John. You never bailed. We all have our moments, Pete. You just have yours with a bit more flourish. Tell me about it. Why did you jump in? Felt like the right thing to do. See? Right there. That's why he makes an example out of you. Like, I'll die with you, Lord. Hey, I wasn't alone on that. No, you weren't. We all said that. Yeah, just tone it down a little bit, all right? James, weigh your steelhead yet? 56 pounds. No way. 153 pounds and just six fish. Oh, that's got to be a record for sure. <laughs> She's the beast, isn't she? Yeah, definitely some kind of record. Wow, look at that. A foot of water, her belly's still scraping. Man, put that baby over the fireplace. All that fish. Hey, maybe it's a sign of starting again. 
Another three years of miracles. I'm thinking it's a bookend. Nice, neat, done. You know, I didn't just jump in. What? I tried to walk again. On top. I just figured if I... If I focused, you know? But I couldn't. Just like I couldn't not deny him. I always want to be more than I am, but I... Why is that? Because you're human, Pete. You just live it out loud. It's one of the things we love about you. He loves it too. Yeah. He loves you. I know what you're doing, John. What? He loves me? You know why I bet on the fish? It wasn't a friendly wager. Something to make it more interesting. I have to win. I have to be bigger than everybody else. I'm seriously flawed, John. Loves me. Last week, I lied to a little girl about even knowing him. And you know what? I felt like slapping her just for asking the question. <laughs> you know, Tommy's right. There's no way he can keep me. Something's broken. He's not going to get rid of you. We all have our stuff. Pete, who caught the fish? Well, we all did. No. Who caught the fish? You did. And how long were we out there? Since four. And not a bite, to, not a bite since he yelled at us to switch out lures. I wouldn't have used those lures in a million years. See? <laughs> there it is. You did what he said. I didn't. Tommy didn't. Nate, you switched out and caught the steelhead because you listened. See, that's the flip side of your audacity. So you didn't walk on water this time. Who did it the first time? That was before. Hey, Tommy. Yeah? You ever walk on water? Yeah, in January, ice fishing. You're really not being any help here. Well, neither are you. Pete's right. He failed. What, did you take negative pills this morning? I just think the truth is important too, okay? What are you doing? Why would you do that? Felt like the right thing to do. Here's your money, Tommy. You. You're a nut job. Probably. Hey, there he is. You should go. You'll be all right. One of my favorite stories is found in John 21. It's the restoration of Peter. We're going to take a look today what to do 
In the shadow of great failure, how to love God no matter what. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. We've been looking at it for weeks now. And it's my prayer today that you would help us to leave here changed again, transformed by the power of your love and your goodness and your mercy in our lives. That we would see you better, understand you better, and that you would open our ears, open our eyes, God, to your truth today, to your love. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the story of Peter's restoration found in John 21. It's one of my favorites. And one of the reasons why I love it is because it's something that most of us can relate to. We've all failed. We've all made a mistake. We've all blown it at least once. I won't ask, but I, I'm sure that you failed at least once this week. You did something. Said something shouldn't, you shouldn't have done. Did something you shouldn't have done. And that's the story of the human you know, existence. We have failed. And we have failed God. But I want to talk today about how to love God even in the shadow of our greatest failure. How to love him even after we've blown it miserably because we all have. John 21 records a story. What we saw was a, a, a more contemporary version. I don't think John went to Wazoo. <laughs> but it's a contemporary version of what I want to read to you now from John 21, verse 1. We'll pick it up. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. I don't know if you're a fisherman, but going out all night fishing and not catching the thing is not fun. Early in the morning, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now again, if you haven't caught any fish all night, is that really the question you want to answer? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And again, they're having a little bit of deja vu here because they've been through this early on in their call to follow Jesus. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved refers to John, the author of this gospel, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. God love Peter. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of, coal, of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of, a, of, of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. By the way, let me insert some wonder, why did they question who this might be? And there's a couple of suggestions made. One is that Jesus was, was in a more glorified, divine presence body, and that there was something special and unique about him. Another expl explanation, which is one I tend to think makes more sense and lean on, is that it's quite possible they didn't recognize him as he was because of all the disfigurement. Remember, he had the scars on his hands still. And it's possible because of what he went through, the brutal beating and the, the, uh, the punishment his body took uh, before and on the cross that maybe he looked different. Whatever the reason, uh, verse 13 says, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And they did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Love this story. You know, if you've ever failed anyone, and again, we all have, one of the things you find 
is that it's hard to be around the, the person or the people that you've let down, at least for a while. After you blow it royally, you really do something stupid, and you hurt somebody and you hurt them, it's, it can be difficult to be around those people or that person. Why? Well, shame, guilt, embarrassment. Their very presence reminds us that we're an idiot at times, that we did something stupid. And so sometimes it can be hard to be around those people we've let down the most. When I was in my 20s, there was a season in my life when I uh, fell away from the Lord. I walked away from God, from faith in Him, from my family, from my wife. And I'm going to tell you, bitterness is a poison that can ruin you. And I was an angry and bitter young man. I blamed God for a lot of tough things that were going on in my life. And I won't digress and tell you what they were. But I, there were a lot of really difficult things that I blamed God for. And I was angry. I was just mad at Him. And I, I, I told God, apparently you've forgotten me, so forget you. And I walked away, and I fell hard. And it was a pretty ugly season of my life. I partied hard. I drank hard. I did things really too shameful to speak of. It's now been almost 30 years since that time. But I still remember how hard I fell and how far I wandered from God. But I also remember how difficult it was when I came back. Another story again, another time. But when I finally made the decision to return, I was the prodigal son coming home. I knew I needed to go back to church with my wife, and she was attending church on the way, and so I went with her. And I wanted to be at church. I knew I needed to be at church. I really wanted to be there. But I also knew this, that a lot of her friends, a lot of the people at that church knew everything about me. She shared enough of my story to know that I, I knew there were people there that, that knew all about my failure. And one guy in particular was the young marriage pastor, a guy named, a guy named Scott. Scott and Becky, uh, they were married and ran the young marriage ministry and, and a great guy. And they supported my wife during that tough season, that time when I was far from God. And he knew everything about what I'd done. And so I really, I dreaded running into this guy because of that. And so one day I'm sitting in church. I'm over to the right in that auditorium. I'm sitting on, on this side. And he happened to be up on stage that day. And after the worship ended, he did uh, what we often do. He said, turn and greet one another. And he saw me and made a beeline for me. He came right down off the stage. Two seconds later, he's in my face. And as I'm watching him, I can't tell you all the things going through my head. I'm thinking, I'm going to turn around and run. I'm going to get out of here. I don't want to see you, Scott. Please don't come. He's, hopefully, he's coming to the guy in front of me, not to me. Sure enough, he came right up. And what he did then, I'll never forget. He grabbed me, and he gave me a big old bear hug, and he whispered in my ear, welcome home, Kurt. Welcome home. It's hard sometimes to be around the people that we've let down. And I'm sure for Peter, this was a difficult experience. This time he's not running from the Lord. He's not denying him. But I, I still imagine that Peter is, is having a difficult time around Jesus because the memory of his utter failure was still very fresh in his mind. But I love what Jesus does here. Now, again, imagine what's going on here. Peter figures out, or John says it's the Lord. Peter throws on his cloak, and he, he jumps overboard. They're 100 yards from shore. That's quite a swim. And Peter goes you know, into the water and begins to flounder his way to Jesus. He gets to the shore. I want you to see him there, standing in front of Jesus. He's dripping wet, breathing hard, and doesn't probably really know what to say. All right. And Jesus, I, I can't, I, we don't know. I want to ask, what's one of the things I want to, Jesus, what were you thinking? What was going on? But I imagine again Jesus smiling when he saw Peter jump overboard. I just, it would be consistent with his nature. I think Jesus is going, oh, Peter, you're such an idiot. I, I just love you, man. Look at that, look at that guy. Father, look at him. He's, here he is again. 
And now he's standing there dripping wet. He's dripping wet, breathing hard, and Jesus says what? Pete, pull up a log, sit down, have some breakfast. I love this story. I love this story because it's our story of restoration. How do you love Jesus in the shadow of your darkest, deepest failure? How do you love him after you failed? Here's the first thing, number one. First, you must understand that Jesus never gives up on you, even if you've given up on him. He has never and will never give up on you, even if you've given up on him. How do you love after your darkest moment of failure? You realize that even in that moment, Jesus never turned his back on you. Even when I told God, I hate you, and I did. I, I, I screamed, I yelled, I told God, I hate you, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Apparently you've forgotten me, so forget you. Even when I did that, even when I yelled and screamed and cursed God, he never let me go, he never rejected me, not even once. From time to time, I'll hear someone say, oh, isn't it tragic that so-and-so's fallen from grace? And that phrase always bothers me a little bit. It, it depresses me. It makes me a little angry at times. Because what they're really saying is, too bad, that guy's gone off the deep end again. Wow, he's a mess. And the, the truth is, sometimes we do reject God. We do reject his grace. Sometimes we spit on his grace. We spit on him. But the truth is, God's grace is never outside of our reach. We are never too far gone for God, never. There's never a moment where our sin is going to take us outside of his love. When I came to my senses and realized how madly God loved me, even though I was mad at him, the overwhelming response of my heart was love because of his never-ending love for me. In fact, his love broke my hard heart. The love demonstrated through guys like Scott who grabbed me and said, Welcome home, Kurt. God never gives up on us. He never gives up on you. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Thessalonica a long time ago, but it's still true today. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 says, Even if we are disloyal and unfaithful, God stays faithful to us because he can't be anything else than what he is. Even when you and I are disloyal and unfaithful, we've rejected God. Paul said God never rejects you. He never turns his back on you. If you and I are to love God and respond to that love no matter what we've done, then we've got to understand the depth of his unfailing commitment to us and the unbelievableness of his incredible love for you and me, the unquenchable love God has for us. We've been taking a look at love for weeks now. This is our ninth week in this series called Extravagant Love. Why would I go here for so long? Because I so believe that we have to understand this. We've got to get this. We've got to respond to that love. You see, humans reject other humans when they fail. That's just the way it is. That's pretty much what we do. Somebody blows it, we're done. And that's why it's so hard for us to embrace this truth that God is full of mercy and that he never rejects us because that's not our human nature. But that is God. God never rejects us. He never turns his back on us. God is always full of mercy. How do we love God? Even in the shadow of our darkest moment, we remember that he's never turned his back on us. Here's the second thing we can do. Number two, you come to Jesus as you are and let him embrace you in your brokenness. How do you love in the shadow of that great mistake, that huge thing, maybe right in the midst of it? You come to him as you are and you let him embrace you in your brokenness. Again, I, I absolutely love this picture of Peter jumping overboard to swim to Jesus because, again, I imagine Jesus smiling even though he knew everything about Peter. He knew every word Peter had spoken, every act. He knew it all. Here's a little insight. Ready? God knows you better than you know yourself. 
scary. But he does. God knows you and I better than we know ourselves. He has seen everything we've ever done. He, he has understood every word. He's heard it all. Hebrews 4.13 says this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He knows how messed up we are at times. He knows how filthy our actions can be at times. He knows how wretched our hearts and minds can be at times. And yet his arms are always open wide towards us. If you read on in Hebrews chapter 4, again, what a, a powerful passage. But in this passage where it says God sees everything, right after that it says this. But he gets us. I'm going to paraphrase. The Bible says God knows. In Ephesians, uh, Hebrews 4, it says God understands. He knows what we're like. He knows our frame. He knows the temptations we've had to deal with. He gets us, and so the call is run to the throne of grace. Run to the throne of mercy so that we can find the help that we need. God's arms are always open wide to us, no matter what. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud. Got any secret sin in your life? Is there anything in your past or maybe in your present that you think is hidden that nobody else knows but you? Well, here's the little truth. God sees. He knows. And yet, that's not the end of the truth. The end of that story is, and he still invites you to come to him. He sees, he knows, he's been there for every stupid thing I've ever done. And yet the invitation of Jesus has come to me. It's okay, just come. We don't have to hide in fear anymore. We don't have to hide in shame. The invitation of Jesus has come. I know what you've done, but still come to me. Many years ago, when I was on staff at another church, a young woman in her 20s came up to me for prayer. I was standing down front, and she said, would you pray for me? And, and I knew a lot of her story. I'd talked with her before. I'd actually prayed with her before. She'd had an abortion and uh, about a year prior to that time, and she struggled through a whole lot of stuff because of that. And she said, would you pray for me? And, and I said, well, how can I pray for you today? What, what do you need? And the minute I said, how can I pray for you? She just began to weep. And I don't just mean a little few tears down the face. I mean snot running, weeping, blobbering all over. Blobbering, I just made up a word. She's, she is, I mean, she was a mess. And, and she couldn't even talk, couldn't, wouldn't look at me and couldn't talk. And I said, it's okay. And I just waited. And I said, well, how, how can I pray for you today? And she pulled up, and I had never seen this before, did I know? She pulled up the sleeves of her arms, and she showed me where she'd been cutting herself. Scars from old wounds, fresh cuts. And all she showed me was her arms, and it broke my heart. Now, I know there are a lot of reasons why some people do that. Sometimes it's mental illness. Sometimes there are other things involved. I know that. But in her case, I knew that that self-mutilation was a result of her self-hate, that she was carrying this shame and this guilt, and that she was trying to punish herself for the sins of her past. While I prayed for her, I made sure she got some help. But I had one of those moments, and sometimes it's just, you just know God is speaking through you in ways that you can never come up with on your own. And I got done praying for her, and, and I looked at her, I, I said her name, I said, look at me. And she shook her head, she's staring at the carpet, I said, no, look at me. And she looked up at my eyes, and I said, I want you to know something. I want you to understand this that Jesus was scarred so that you wouldn't have to be. That he took your scars of shame, you don't have to carry those anymore. And we began round two of the slobbering and the weeping. And, but it's exactly what she needed to hear. Jesus took those 
That punishment that you're trying to self-impose, that self-mutilation, that self-hate you have, you don't have to carry that anymore. How do you love in the shadow of your darkest failure? Not only do you believe that God never turns his back on you, but you come to him. Just as you are, even in your brokenness, you come. Here's the third thing, the last thing. What do you do? On the backside of that great failure, number three, you let go of your past and you press on to your future in Christ. This is so important that we do this. We've got to come to a point where we let go of our past and we press on into our future in Jesus. Now, honestly, let me be honest. I'm, I'm pretty real around here. I try to be honest with you all the time. You're probably never going to forget that thing, those sins, that era, that time, that season of your life. You probably are never going to forget what's happened. I remember almost every sin I've committed, especially in that dark time of my life. A couple of weeks ago, we were down in Southern California, which is where this all happened. And we were down there for vacation. And we were driving down the freeway. We were going someplace to a family situation. And we drove by a bar that I used to go to on a frequent basis and get really drunk in all the time. And did some really stupid things there. And I drove by that, and I, I remember, it was like it happened yesterday. Now, let me quickly insert this. I know the enemies constantly throw that in my face, and that's something else we need to learn to deal with. But I'm, I'm just being real with you. I don't know that you're ever going to forget the sin, the things you've done. I, probably not. David said in Psalm 51, 3, For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me, he said. And David failed miserably, adultery, murder. The woman that, that he had adultery with became his wife, Bathsheba. And I'm, I don't know if that's exactly what he meant, but he says, I know my transgressions, my sin. Maybe he's thinking, there she is. My, the, the, the act of my sin, she's it's always there before me. Not that she was sin, but he remembered what he'd done. And I haven't forgotten my sin either. It's not very, very, very deep. Often it's right in my face. But here's the truth that I'm trying to work through and live in my own life. And what I want you to do, listen to me, you cannot live there. You cannot dwell there. You do not need to. You don't have to live there anymore. The enemy of your soul wants you to get stuck in the rut of regret. That's where he wants you to live. Stuck in that rut of, oh my goodness, if only I would have, should have, could have, didn't. That's where he wants you to live, in that rut of regret. He wants you to waste the rest of your life looking behind you, looking back. That's the intent of the evil one. But listen to what God says. Listen, God says it's time to let it go. Move on, because the boundaries of your past don't have to be the horizons of your future in Christ. Where do I get such a crazy idea like that from? David again, Psalm 103, 8 to 14. David said, the Lord is merciful. He is kind and patient, and his love never fails. Now, either that's truth or it's a crock. I believe it's truth, that the Lord is merciful, that he is kind and patient, oh. I'm so glad he's patient with me. Anybody else? He's patient, and his love never fails. David went on and said, The Lord won't always be angry and point out our sins. He doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. Verse 11, How great is God's love for all who worship him, greater than the distance between heaven and earth. How far has the Lord taken our sins from us, farther than the distance from east to west. Just as parents are kind to their children, the Lord is kind to all who worship him. Because he knows we are made of dust. He knows us. David said, how great is the love of God for us. Greater than the distance from here 
to infinity and beyond. When he says that from heaven to from earth to heaven, he, it, it means you know we don't, we don't even know where the galaxy's in, where the heavens in. And David's saying, "How great is God's love for us? It's greater than the distance from here to infinity and beyond. There's there's no distance that that can measure the love of God. It's greater than that. How far has He removed our sins from us? As far as the east is from the west." Let me just point out a little thing here I learned in elementary school. When you're going east, you're always going east. You never end up going west as long as you're going east. Brilliant, huh? Here's the point. As long as Jesus said he's moved, removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, that, that means that it's never going to come back into our face. It's never going to come back around to us. He's removed our sins from us. They're gone forever. Why? Because God is good and kind and merciful. And he knows how weak these frames of dust can be. Because God is good. Because he doesn't want you to live with the burden of your past, your sin. He doesn't want you to live with that shame and that guilt. Jesus took it for us. Later after breakfast, as you read on in John 21, Peter and Jesus have this amazing encounter. And again, I, 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 we don't know exactly the picture of what's happening but I imagine Jesus is doing what he did. He spoke the truth in love. He spoke the truth with compassion, but he looked Peter in the eye, and maybe Peter's staring at the fire or staring at the sand or staring at his breakfast, I don't know. And he said, Peter, John 21, 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? Now, one of the things that you need to know or remember, or let me tell you what happened is before the crucifixion, before Peter's denial, Peter told Jesus, Lord, even if all these other guys turn their back on you, even if everybody else walks away from you, I'm the one guy you can count on, Jesus. I'm with you all the way. Peter was arrogant and proud and proclaimed his, his love to be greater than the love of others. And now Jesus, and some think, well, that seems kind of mean that Jesus would bring that up. Now it was healing. And it was Jesus bringing truth and bringing reality and, humble, and humility to Peter's life. And he said, Peter, do you really love me more than these other guys? And Peter, again, I imagine not even looking at Jesus, shaking his head, Lord, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And then I, I absolutely am baffled by what Jesus responded. He said, then Peter, feed my lambs. Second time he asked him, Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And feed my sheep. Third time, Simon, do you love me? And Simon says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. It's time to get back to work, Peter. It's time to stop looking back and to get reengaged in what I've called you to do. Care for my people, care for the sheep, care for the church. Why is this so significant for you and me? Because Jesus didn't focus on Peter's past. He focused on his future. And listen, guys, he doesn't focus on your past either. He focuses on your future in him. Jesus didn't rub in Peter's face his many failings. He didn't say, now, Pete, you've really disappointed me more than once, by the way. And I just want to make sure that you've got your, you know, things figured out. And I, I'm really worried. I hope you don't drop the ball again. Can I trust you in the future? He didn't say any of that. Jesus didn't look back. He looked forward. And the only question he asked Peter was, Peter, do you love me? The only question he asks you and me is, do you love me? Jesus says, do you love me? It's the only question that matters because when we do, we can let go of our past and press on into our future in him. 
The question for you today is not what have you done, where have you failed, what stupid things have you done. The question is, do you love him? And if you do, you can live free. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to, to take our sins upon the cross, that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was pierced for our iniquities, that he carried on the cross our shame, our guilt, our failings, and that because of that, we don't have to live there anymore. We don't have to live consumed by our failures, consumed by our past, but we can live with joy. We can walk in joy because of your goodness, your mercy, of your kindness. We can walk free. We can even know, Lord, the, the rest that comes from knowing that what you did for us on the cross, settle it once and for all. Our debt is paid in full right there. Lord, I know there's some here today who have not yet started their life as a Christ follower. And they're here today. Maybe they think they've got to get their life all cleaned up before they come to you. Jesus, would you show them, Holy Spirit, show them right now that you are saying, come to me as you are. Come to me with all that stuff, all your past, all your sin. Just come. Lord, I know that there's some here, even though they, years ago perhaps, made the decision to become Christ followers, they are right in this moment living under the cloud of shame and guilt, and there's not a lot of joy in their life, and they're striving and, and struggling and dealing with depression and, and frustration over their, their past, their sins, even their present. Jesus, would you show them right now that they can let that go, they can take that to you, that you will embrace them, that you've never turned your back on them, you never will, and right now your call is just come. Come to me, let it go. Love me and let me love you. Lord, work that in our hearts. Holy Spirit, come right now and work that in our hearts, I pray in your name. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. And I want you just to listen to the words of the song. Maybe you need to close your eyes and just really focus on these words. But I want you to listen to this because this is the truth right now that God wants you to hear. I'll come back in a moment. Now, you don't have to participate in this. It's pretty dark. I can't see you. If you choose not to participate in this exercise, that's okay. But I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do something that I think for some of you would be very, very free. Maybe you're here today and you've not begun your life as a Christ follower. This can be your act, your choice, your decision to come into relationship with him, to bring your life, to bring all your broken pieces to him, to come as you are. But many of you in this room right now, you are exactly the people that this message is all about. You were like me. You carried that guilt and shame, and you still carry it for way too long. And it's time to let it go. And so here's what I want you to do. Eyes closed, just you and Jesus. But would you cup your hands right in front of you right now? And I want you to see in your hands that brokenness of your life. The sin you committed maybe yesterday, this week. That thing you watched on the Internet you shouldn't have. That word you spoke. That harsh way you were with your kid, with your husband, with your wife. That thing you stole, that thing you broke, that thing that you ripped off from somebody, that, that emotional puking you gave to somebody, the beating you gave to somebody emotionally that bruised them and wounded them. I want you to come and see in your hands all the broken pieces of your life. The shame, the guilt, the sin, the things that you've done. Do you see it there? Now, this is very important. See Jesus before you. Use that God-given imagination and imagine his hands now much bigger than yours and their nail-pierced hands, their scarred hands, and he places his hands underneath yours. 
They're the hands that love you. They're the hands that died for you. They're the hands that have given everything for you. And they're right there underneath what you're carrying. And now Jesus says, open your hands and let it go. Let those things go. And I want you just to open your hands and imagine those things falling into the hands of a loving Savior. He can take it. He wants to take it. He wants to take that from you right now. Let it go. Father, I pray that you would show us right now the amazing love that Jesus has for us, so much so that he did go to the cross to die for us, and that we can let go of those things that we've held on to for too long. We can let go of our shame and our past, and we can literally let those broken pieces fall into the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, where they belong, because you died to take them from us. Lord, for those right now that are beginning their life, that they, for the first time, are doing this as an act of, of, of submission to you, an act of, of, of grace. They're coming to you and, and declaring, that today, I'm giving you my life, all the broken pieces of my life. Today, I'm letting go, and I'm surrendering my life to you. Today, they're beginning their lives to Christ's follower, and they've let go of their sin. Lord Jesus, let them see and, and let them understand right now in this moment. Burn it into their souls, Lord, that they don't have to carry that stuff anymore, that you have set them free that you love them. But Lord, show all of us, even some of us who've walked with you for a long time, show us today that we can leave here free, free because of you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's finish with the chorus, How Great Is Our God. Let's just sing this together. Sing as a declaration now of his love. Today, knowing that your love is greater than all our sin, that your kindness is greater than we can possibly imagine, that your goodness toward us, Lord, has always been way beyond what we deserve. That we can leave here, Lord, bathed, literally washed in the grace and the mercy of God. That we can leave here today free with joy. We might have come, Lord, with heaviness and with brokenness, but we can leave here today knowing that we are free in you, free in you, Jesus. And now, Lord, I know that tomorrow we will probably sin this week, this tomorrow, again soon. And we need to do the same thing. We need to keep coming and and celebrating the grace, the mercy, the goodness of God, walking in that forgiveness that we have. Let's, Lord, help us to practice this letting go on a regular basis. But today, here, now, Lord, please help us leave transformed by the power of your grace in our lives, by the goodness of your love towards us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you begin your life to Christ's Father today, and for the first time you let your life go into God's hands, I want to encourage you to tell someone, let them know. And back on the table by the doors, it says for new Christians, there's a pack that's got a Bible, some material to get you started in your walk to Jesus. Pick one of those up as well. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion. Maybe you want to go today and celebrate again what Jesus did for you on the cross by taking communion. I encourage you to do that. But here's my prayer. Here's my request. Here's my challenge to you. Go live free this week. Go live free in the love of Jesus. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.